Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. And I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. And Nigel, I want to talk about Rosie the Riveter for a second. Not exactly Rosie, but the women who volunteered for the defense effort in World War II. You know, we did our best to forget them, but some of them wouldn't let us do that. Thank goodness. Yeah, Phyllis Gold was one of them. She welded warships in Richmond over in the Bay Area, one of the first six women to volunteer in a defense effort. Right. But when the war was over and the soldiers came home, nobody wanted to talk about the women who had kept this country together in the meantime. Typical. Well, Phyllis wouldn't let everyone just forget. For decades, she pushed for recognition. She lobbied the White House and just about everyone else. And it's thanks to her political advocacy that we have a national Rosie the Riveter Day on March 21st. She died on July 20th at the age of 99. R.I.P. to the OG Rosie. In other news, the state has been taking steps over the past few years to cover more of its undocumented population. There's about 2 million undocumented people in the state. In 2016, they covered undocumented kids. A couple years later, they covered undocumented adults under 26. This year, just recently, they're extending it to cover undocumented people over the age of 50. In the pandemic, we've seen a lot of undocumented people being left out of programs like rent relief. They can't access anything that's federal. So this is something new for these folks, especially those who are more vulnerable. Nicole, have you been watching this at all? Yeah. Well, extending Medi-Cal coverage, health insurance to more undocumented people is something that Democratic lawmakers have been wanting to do for a long time. They've talked about it for years. But finally, with this big budget surplus, there was money to do it. And meantime, let's end on a super happy note. Absolutely. We are hearing more and more about these apocalyptic summers. We're here to give you guys the happy news. So get this. The State Health Department is saying in a new advisory that dead birds are going to show up in your yard. Oh, cool. Nicole, what do you do when you find a dead bird in your yard? Well, obviously, I would throw it away because that would mean that my cat has finally fulfilled his life dream of getting a bird. Right. <laughs> we'll get rid of it quick. So apparently this West Nile virus, in addition to being a threat to us, is also a bird killer because that's the kind of year that we're in. So the State Department of Public Health wants to know if it's infecting our neighborhood feathered friends. And they even have a hotline. Wow. I feel really bad for everyone working in the health department right now. Yeah, they've been asked to do a lot this summer. And frankly, so have most Californians been asked to voluntarily restrict our water use to cut back on our power during peak hours of the day. And now you got to provide your proof of covid vaccination if you work for the state or in healthcare. Either that or you get tested weekly. All of this is a potential political minefield for Governor Gavin Newsom in the best of times. But this year, for those of you who've been away in like a remote cabin in the woods, <laughs> he's facing a recall election. And the date for that is approaching very quickly. Yep. September 14th. I got it tattooed on my forearm. With everything happening all of the time, we're checking in with Scott Rod and Emily Hoven, who keep all these issues straight for Cap Radio and Cal Matters. Emily... Apparently turning the state into the set of The Price is Right didn't do the trick for Governor Newsom. 
Yeah, I mean, he went around the state giving out millions of dollars of prizes to get vaccinated. And as it turns out, a lot of people still aren't vaccinated. Um, so I think that poses a problem for him. Like, I mean, he wanted to be the guy that had good news, you know, with this recall coming up and giving out prizes, making people happy, turning people's lives around for the better. And then it turns out that he's going to have to actually kind of crack down a little bit and say, we need to be serious. We need to take this, you know, seriously. And I'm going to basically require state workers to get vaccinated. And if they don't want to, they're going to have to submit to a pretty intense testing regimen. And same thing for healthcare workers in both the public and the private sector. And so it's his way of sort of having a vaccine mandate without having a vaccine mandate, because he's not requiring it per se. He's just making it really unattractive to not get one. And with um, Long Beach and Los Angeles also now having similar um, orders, I think you're sort of seeing this like trickle down effect where he doesn't want to have a statewide directive, but he's encouraging local leaders to take that on, put that on their shoulders, which I think is a way to kind of get some of the pressure off of him, especially heading into this recall where mandates are going to be unpopular for a lot of voters. So the wheel and the prizes and all that was the carrot. And now we get the stick. Um, but we also have a recall campaign. This isn't happening in a vacuum. How important do you think it was for Newsom to make the announcement this week and get this going now? I think it's really important. I mean, obviously, the the coronavirus positivity rate in the state is over 5%. Before the state um, reopened on June 15th, it was less than 1%. Um, and you're seeing an increase in the breakthrough cases and people who are already vaccinated. And so I think the last thing the governor wants is for conditions to get worse and worse and worse and worse as the September 14th recall day approaches. So if he's going to crack down, he needs to kind of do it now so that a couple of weeks out, things are looking better and he can kind of ride on a wave of positivity into that election. And just, you know, the state is now recommending that everybody wear masks indoors, even if you're fully vaccinated. And so more and more things are kind of adding on to this, these restrictions. Well, and then there's the pushback. There is uh, people that are happy, of course, that the governor's saying that, you know, if you're not vaccinated, I'm calling you out. And if you're not wearing a mask, you know, we're going to do something about that. And then there's, of course, people pushing back. What has been the state reaction from inside the Capitol or the governor's office to people saying, darn it, I am just so tired of this. I don't want any more masks. I don't want any more of this. I mean, I think the, their sort of messaging is that's a really selfish mentality to have. And it was interesting this past week, the governor, you know, for a long time, he's been really positive, like, oh, you know, we're working with community groups. We're going to have these public messengers go out, doctors working with their patients to encourage vaccinations. Then this week, he comes out pretty aggressively and he's name dropping, um, you know, Republican activists and um, government officials on a national level, Tucker Carlson, people like that, and just saying, hey, you guys are spreading misinformation. You are actively preventing people from, you know, staying safe and healthy. And that approach, you know, is an interesting one. It could be polarizing for certain people who have legitimate concerns. It's interesting, too, in California, a lot of Latino, a lot of Black Californians are still have concerns about the about the vaccine. And I it's unclear if the approach that Newsom just took this past week is going to reach those voters or if there needs to be more, you know, on the ground support for those communities and listening to their concerns. So he's kind of trying a lot of different tactics here. But it's a no downside thing for him to challenge Tucker Carlson and challenge sort of Fox News, right? I mean, the same way that that being the anti-Trump governor for him, being the anti-anti-vax governor can't hurt him, right? 
I mean, I would say that it can, right? I mean, I think whenever you take a stance that is, you know, putting a group of people on the sidelines, obviously in California, right, we have way more Democrats than Republicans. But I think when you're heading into a recall and you need to get the support of independents on your side, potentially even some Republicans on your side, and we know that Republicans are way more jazzed to go into the recall than Democrats, um, any move you make that could alienate a block of voters, I think, is a, is a calculated risk that you take. And I think he's thinking that hopefully that sort of rhetoric will will jazz up his Democratic base, progressive voters. Um, but it could also, you know, fuel the people that are mad at him in the first place. And, you know, there are people that say, hey, like, I don't I don't want to get the vaccine, but that I'm not Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know what I mean? So there's kind of that, that it could backfire among a certain block of voters. How many of them there are? I'm not sure. But I think that any sort of politicized comment surrounding the vaccine is going to have a political response. Sure. Scott Rod. What are you hearing from the state workers? This is going to affect their lives very directly, very soon. This is sort of a test case, right? To see, you know, how is this mandate going to play out? You know, we've uh, we've seen some uh, private companies do this, but this is a pretty large scale. And as as Emily said, this is uh, about as close as the governor can get to a vaccine mandate. You know, what I'm hearing is just feeling as if almost they're sort of the guinea pig for this announcement, for this effort to try to get more people vaccinated. And in a way, you know, a lot of responsibility falling on them to get vaccinated as we're seeing increased positivity rates, increased transmission rates. A lot of this is falling on the shoulders of, of state workers. So this is going to affect a lot of people and businesses across the state. What have you guys heard from local governments, from unions, from special interests? Uh, Emily, let's start with you. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of unions that have come, influential ones that have come out in support of the governor's mandate. I do think it's interesting, though, that one of the state's largest healthcare unions, and we reported this over at Cal Matters, had a somewhat of a lukewarm response where they basically were like, yeah, we would prefer if our members, you know, had education and we don't really like the idea of mandating testing or a vaccine. And so I think that's a really interesting perspective coming from a healthcare worker union. But I, I, some of the other larger unions have said, we think this is the right move to make and it will protect our workers um, and other leaders. And then, you know, you have influential groups like the California Hospital Association saying this is the right step to take. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a mixed bag. Obviously, like LA, Long Beach, they're on board with it. The federal government is actually planning to implement a, a similar um, directive. So you, you are seeing people taking this up, but I'm sure there are, you know, conservative counties in California that are never going to go towards a move like that. Scott, anything on that? It's an interesting position for unions to be in because I don't think really any of them want to be viewed as anti-vax. I don't think anyone wants to come out and push back against the governor on this front. It would be sort of a bad look. But I also know that unions are fiercely protective of worker rights. So it puts them in an interesting bit of tug of war. I think for most of them, they felt comfortable coming out in support of it. But I, I think they're always very sensitive to anything that chips away at worker protections, worker rights. Well, I think that we can all agree that the Delta variant is spreading like wildfire all over the state. But let's turn to actual wildfires. Scott Ryder, Cap Radio State Government Reporter. Where are we at in this fire season in comparison to previous record-setting years? Every year is a record-setting year, so let's talk about last year. We're off to a really bad start. So 2020 was the worst fire season on record in terms of acres burned, over 4 million acres burned in 2020. This time last year, about 120,000 acres had burned. This year, so far 460,000 acres have burned. 
And so the question is, will that pace continue? Will we see the number of dry lightning storms that we had last year that basically lit the entire state on fire? Will we see the strain on firefighters and um, fire crews that we saw last year, having them jump from one fire to another? There's a lot that's still unknown, but we're off to a very bad start to this year in a year that experts anticipated was going to be really bad. We're back with more from Scott and Emily in a moment, and CalMatters Ben Christopher joins us as well with some polling numbers that might light a fire under Democratic voters. Stay tuned. It's California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Nigel Duara. We've been talking to Scott Rod of Cap Radio and Emily Hoven of Cal Matters about all things virus and fires and recall. Let's bring in Emily's colleague, Ben Christopher, now. And Ben, there are a whole lot of Democrats in the state who are annoyed they have to deal with another election this year. And that may be causing some disengagement that doesn't bode well for their currently elected governor. So there was this latest poll from Berkeley's Institute of Governmental Studies, which does regular polls across the state. And it was asking folks how they felt about the recall. And, you know, at the top line, it would actually pretty consistent with what we've seen before. If you ask registered voters, uh, a majority of them say that they're not interested in recalling the governor, 51 percent versus 36 percent. That's pretty consistent with what we've seen. But um, where things got a little bit more interesting and for the governor's camp terrifying is that if you look at just the folks that IGS deemed to be likely voters, the people who are most likely to actually turn out and vote, uh, is basically neck and neck. 47% favored the recall, 50% uh, didn't. That's within the margin of error of that poll. And so what that says is that uh, there is a massive enthusiasm gap between people who... Um, are really excited to get Governor Gavin Newsom out of office versus people who are maybe in his camp a little bit more, but uh, aren't quite aware that there's a recall happening on September 14th, or maybe they are, but they're not, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. Right. I mean, how do you get people excited? It's not just an off-year election. It's an off-year September recall effort that it seems the Democrats are fairly certain or have been fairly certain, maybe until yesterday, that they are going to roll right through. So how do you get the enthusiasm? Is it fear? Do you tell folks, hey, listen, if you don't get out there, something terrible could happen if you're a Democrat? Yeah, I mean, fear is a pretty good motivating factor in any kind of political race. And I think particularly this one, that's what we've seen basically since the beginning of this campaign is the governor and his uh, political allies and, and campaign strategists have been really trying to paint the recall in as dark terms as possible, sort of linking it uh, both to the politics of, of President Trump, who, you know, he's fairly not popular in California, and also um, linking, uh, I mean, well, this week we, we saw this, um, a video come out uh, featuring Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's, who's uh, you know, well-liked among progressives, many progressives anyway. And uh, she basically said, look, you, you got to vote or else, um, you know, basically linking the recall to the politics of 
of voter suppression, linking it to the uh, voter restriction legislation that we've seen across the country in Republican-run uh, uh, states, most dramatically in Texas, uh, and basically saying that, you know, if you don't vote for the recall, Newsom could actually be ousted, and then we'll be left with who knows who knows who, but certainly a Republican. And so I think fear is a, is going to be a, a driving factor. Also just information. Again, I don't think a lot of people even know that there's an election coming in September. Why would there be an election in September? There's never an election in September. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of information to get out the vote. I think it will be a little bit easier to, to get that point across because as we did last year, every registered voter is going to be getting a ballot in the mail. So that will be a, a handy reminder for, for a lot of people. So bringing back everybody here, Ben and Emily and Scott, tell me how Newsom is balancing the realities of the pandemic with the challenges of the recall. He basically has to run for office again, and if he wins, run again next year. So how do each of these subjects, we're talking about wildfires, we're talking about the pandemic, affect the recall and his response to it? Emily, we'll start with you. I think they're inextricably intertwined at this point. I mean, everything he does Critics can attribute it to the recall and backers can attribute it to governor's great policies. And so there's really no way now for the average observer to really distinguish what's motivating certain actions that he's doing. And I think what's really challenging for the governor moving forward is in the recall, he's not really running against anybody, right? He's running against himself. And then there are a bunch of candidates that are running to replace him. And so in terms of the messaging that he has, he sort of has to use this like national Republican um, specter to that he's running against. But I think for a lot of voters, ultimately, it's going to be, did you like Newsom or do you not like Newsom? And that's going to sort of decide their vote. And so he really is going to have to make an appeal to those voters. Scott, the idea he has to run against himself. Let's talk about his record specifically on wildfire since you've covered that. What's he running on that I can do it or that without me, it'll be much worse? The messaging has definitely been, I can do this, and we have been doing it. That first question that voters are going to face is, should Newsom stick around? Thumbs up, thumbs down. And, you know, a big concern for the administration thinking about when this election was going to take place, heading into what is typically peak fire season of, you know, October, uh, maybe even November, you know, the the possibility that there would be major fires burning um, would be weighing more on voters' minds. But what we're seeing right now is we're ha we have major fires burning. We have the 14th largest fire in state history burning right now, and it's only going to get bigger. There's smoke outside my apartment right now in Sacramento and probably many other people's places. And so if people are going to the polls and they know that the area around them is burning, if they're breathing in smoke, it, it I wouldn't say it doesn't matter how Newsom characterizes his track record on wildfires, but if they're seeing it and if it's immediately around them, that I believe will color their um, impression of how Newsom has been doing on fires more so than any press conference Newsom can hold standing in front of a shiny new air tanker. Ben, we had the shiny wheel. We had the <laughs> carrot. Now we have the stick. What are people going to be from your reporting? What is the messaging going to be leading up to this last month and a bit? Well, so far, we're just seeing a repetition of, of the, the fact, not really naming uh, any of the other candidates by name, but really just framing the opposition or the, the recall effort as, as this Trumpian Republican effort to try and rally the base. Because, of course, I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, they're, they're pushing back. It's the same group again. They're, they're pushing back. It's Fox News last time. Yep. It's anti-Trump. But it's the same kind of general group that he established himself as last time, it seems like. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it makes the politics very easy in California where Democratic voters outnumber Republican voters two to one. And so if you can just kind of appeal to those partisan instincts in, that most voters have, uh, it, it becomes a very easy kind of uh, process. I think what's going to be interesting, or at least what I'm going to be watching in the next few weeks, is the legislature is going to reconvene uh, that they've been on, on break in, in, in mid-August. And in those last few months, there's going to be a flurry of activity of legislators trying to get their their favorite bills across, interest groups trying to, to get their bills across. And so now that there's this dawning realization within the Newsom camp that they really need to, to get their base on board and enthusiastic to turn out, I'm going to be curious to see who's really going to be trying to use that as leverage to get the governor to uh, to get on board or, or fight a, you know, a proposal that they don't like. Because clearly he's going to need all the support he can get. Emily, Scott, Ben, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we will definitely talk to you again. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. You know, Nigel, Newsom is getting more confrontational with people who are bad-mouthing vaccination efforts. I actually watched that press conference. He did seem genuinely frustrated as he called out, like, Tucker Carlson and everyone. Um, He was frustrated as somebody trying to get the state back on track. But I noticed he got in a Twitter fight with Marjorie Taylor Greene for perpetuating vaccine misinformation. And then the next day, he was fundraising off that Twitter fight for the recall. What if we just took away their Twitter accounts? Like, while you're elected, what if we just don't let you tweet? Then I wouldn't have a job, Nigel. No, 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 we can still tweet, just they can't, they can't. And then, and because it used to be that they would just fax you stuff and you'd have a pile of faxes, you could choose to go through them or not, but now it's right in your face. So let's, this is my new motion. Let's take away their Twitter accounts while they're elected. That That is a new motion. I think you're onto something. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time, Nigel. See you next time, Nicole. Have a great week, everybody. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Figland and produced by Jen Picard. Our engineers are Antonio Minez, Chris Feltz, and Paul Conley. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Mellifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, 